for paying it off. You didn't have to do that. I know it was part of the plan, but uh, I appreciate you being willing to sacrifice your life for me. Well, if you would take your Bible at this time and turn to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter number 9. For those who were here last week, you're thinking, wait a minute, I thought we finished chapter number 9. And if we could stand together for the reading of God's Word, <laughs> Brother, Brother Gary's uh, an overachiever. He's, he's already standing. But uh, we're going to, before we leave this passage, I need to, I feel as though the Lord wants me to spend an entire message talking about something that Jesus emphasized here in this passage that we didn't really get to last week. Mark chapter number 9 and verse number 43. He says, And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than to having, than having two hands to go into hell, into the fire that, sh- that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life than having two feet to be cast to hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And so tonight, today, uh, by God's grace and with God's help, I want to preach to you about the truth about hell. Not a comfortable subject to preach about. Not one that I was going, ooh, goody, I get to preach about this this Sunday. Now, this is not a topic that is a pleasant topic to talk about. And yet Jesus talked about it and preached about it and emphasized it in this passage quite a bit. And if Jesus preached about it, being a follower of Christ, uh, we need to understand what he has said about it, and as a preacher of the gospel, I need to preach on it as well. So today, I want to preach about the truth about hell. Let's pray, and we'll get into it today. Lord, I ask that you would bless this time together in your word. Lord, I pray that you would Help us to have an open mind and an open heart to your word today. Not, not, not to my words, but to yours. And Father, I pray that you would use this message in our lives, Lord, to draw us closer to you. And again, if there's one here today, one under the sound of my voice, whether they're here or watching online or someday down the road, maybe listening on our podcast someday, who's not saved, Lord, I pray that You would use this time, Lord, to draw them to salvation. And then, Lord, for those of us who are saved, oh, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to have a soberness and a seriousness about the Christian life and our responsibility as believers to get the gospel out, because there is a hell. We pray, Lord, you'd be honored and glorified in all that goes on in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Perhaps you've heard the story about the message one man left on his tombstone. It said this, Consider, young man, as you walk by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, you soon shall be. So prepare, young man, to follow me. That sounded pretty profound, but one fellow took a knife and scratched a response on the tombstone that read this, To follow you is not my intent until I know which way you went. Uh, you see, there are only two directions you can go after this life. Heaven or hell. No such place as purgatory or limbo or just simply ceasing to exist. No, our bodies 
uh, will uh, perish, but our soul will live forever somewhere. It will either be in heaven or it will be in a place called hell. Now, many people don't realize this, but Jesus, in his earthly ministry, actually placed a greater emphasis on this place called hell than he did about heaven. Uh, We're familiar with some passages about heaven, about uh, laying not up for yourselves treasures on earth, but laying our treasures in heaven. Uh, We're familiar with passages like, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, my father's house or many mansions. And, And he talks about heaven. But more and more than he ever talked about heaven, he spoke about this place called hell. And today we're going to take some time to consider what the Bible says about hell. I'm going to ask you to uh, turn over to Luke chapter number 16 because Luke chapter number 16 is actually uh, the more descriptive passage regarding what hell is like than really any other uh, passage in the scriptures. Luke chapter number 16 and verse number 19 Luke 16, 19 says, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. What came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And verse number 23 says, And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember, that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, but likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you there is a great goal fixed, so that they would that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, thou wouldest send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them lest they also come into this place of torment. And uh, we'll stop there. Hell is a real place. And I want to talk first this morning about the reality of hell. I realize that hell doesn't get mentioned a lot in church, and, and it's sad even for me to know that This is the first time I've ever really preached on hell in three and a half years of being here. Certainly, I've mentioned it many times in sermons and and talked about it, but to spend an entire sermon, this is the first time I've ever done that. It's a real place. And so I want to talk and, and go through what the Bible says about the reality of hell this morning. First, let's talk about the place of hell. Verse number, um, verse number 28, if you look in verse number 28 of Luke chapter number 16, he says, For I have five brethren, that he may testify to them, lest they also come into this place of torment. It is a real place. Hell is not a state of being or a state of mind. It is an actual place. Uh, you might say, well, how do you know that? Have you ever been there? No, I've never been to hell. I've actually never been to Miami, Florida either. But Miami, Florida exists. Okay? Maybe you have. Um, and uh, it may, I have never been to Paris, France, but Paris, France exists. It's a real place. And just because somebody hasn't been there doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And so it is a place. What kind of place is it? Well, it's a place of unquenchable fire. 
Uh, we read that in, back in Mark chapter number 9, verses 43, 43 through 48, mentions that it is a place where the fire is not quenched. In other words, it's a place where the fire continues to burn and continues to be present. Place of unquenchable fire. It's a place of wailing and gnashing of teeth. In other words, not only are we going to feel these things, but or those in hell feel the, the flames, but they also uh, can hear as well. A place of wailing and gnashing of teeth. Now, Ma- Matthew chapter 13, verse 50, the Bible says this, And shall cast them into the furnace of fire, and there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. My mom, as many of you know, who've been here for a while, uh, know that she passed away at the age of 44 of cancer. She had cancer, and then it went into remission for a couple years, and then it came back. And when it came back, she was in excruciating pain. I remember coming home from Bible college uh, after work and uh, having to work on my Greek homework, which uh, I forgot it all, because after all, it is all Greek to me. Um, But I remember coming home and trying to work on Greek homework after going to school in the morning, going to work in the afternoon and evening, and then now having to work on my Greek homework. And I remember hearing my mom moan and moan in the agony of pain that she was in. And it just, it it haunts me even to this day. And, And I can't help but think that that is what those in hell are hearing and will hear for all of eternity. It's not a, uh, well, I'm just going to go to hell and listen to my rock music, and I'm going to go and just party and have a good time. You're going to hear some sound. Those who go to hell hear sounds, but it's not of joy. It's not of happiness. It's not of parties. It's not of music. It's of wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's a place of unquenchable fire, a place of wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's a place of black and outer darkness. There's no light in hell. Say, well, I thought there was flames in hell. Yes, there are, but there's, uh, there, there is flames that burn so hot that they're actually, is, they, they are black flames. The Bible says in Jude, verse number 13, it says, Raging waves of the sea, they're foaming out of their own shame, wandering stars, to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Hell is the place of outer darkness. So if you're afraid of the dark, don't go to hell because that's all you're going to see for yet forever, for eternity. Place of black darkness. It's a real place. It's a terrible place. It's a place of torments. Here we find in, uh, in Luke chapter number 16, that this man, uh, who went to hell in verse number Uh, 23, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments. It's a place, it's a terrible place. So we see the place of hell, but then we see, I want us to look at the purpose of hell. Why was this place created in the first place? You see, we need to understand this morning that God did not create hell for you and I. Oh no, he created it for the devil and his demons. Matthew 25, verse 41 says, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Uh, You see, when Lucifer fell from heaven uh, because of his pride and took a third part of the angels with him, God created then this hell to uh, bring everlasting punishment to them at the last day. So every person that goes to hell is actually an intruder. They are trespassing. It was not meant for them. It's not meant for anybody in this room today. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9 tells us, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us were... To us, we're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, God doesn't want any person to go to a place called hell. No. 
He doesn't want you to go to hell. Say, he probably wanted Adolf Hitler to go to hell. Osama bin Laden, I'm sure he wanted him to go to hell. No. He's long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish. Not even those who've done great, horrible things. He desires that we would all come to repentance. And so if you're here today and you're not a Christian, God desires that you would come to repentance. And God desires that he, you would come to repentance today, and not someday down the road, but today. 1 Timothy 2 and verse number 3, the Bible says this, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come under the knowledge of the truth. So in other words, God desires that all men would come to the understanding that Jesus is their Savior and that they have forgiveness of sins and eternal life in a place called heaven instead of having to go to this place called hell. And by the way, this isn't just for the elect. It's for all men. And so if you are part of mankind, then God desires that you would come to the knowledge of the truth. Well, someone would ask the question, then why would God, why, why would a loving God send people to hell? Perhaps you've heard that question before. That's a common question that, get asked, that gets asked. Why would a loving God send people to hell? Well, I like John R. Rice's response to this. He says, infidels love to say that they, weak, sinful men, would not send their children to a place like hell. And that if God loves his children, he would not condemn them to go to hell. John R. Rice said, my answer is that unsaved sinners are not the children of God. He said, no person is a child of God until he has been born again. You see, those who are not born again are the children of wrath. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. God's children never go to hell. But the children of the devil do. He says, how foolish to charge God with wrongdoing because men go to hell. Hell is a result of, a result of men's sins. Men go to hell because they ought to, not because God hates them. And the real question is not how, why would a loving God send people to hell? The real question is how could a holy and just God allow people into heaven? That's the real question. And thank God that he does for those who have repented of their sin and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see the purpose of hell. But thirdly, let's look at the pain of hell. Those in hell uh, experience excruciating, terrible pain. First, they experience physical pain. Uh, look in verse 23 again. It says, And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments. In verse 24, and cried and said, Father, Abraham, have mercy on me that, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. Look at verse 25. Uh, at the end of that verse, he says, and thou art tormented. In verse 28, I have five brethren, let's say, uh, for I have five brethren that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. So it's a place of physical pain. Look, I realize that those in hell right now do not have a body. Their body's still uh, buried. But yet in hell, they still have their physical senses. And, and you say, well, I, I don't understand that. Well, neither do I, but I trust it. This is what the Bible says. And this, this guy who went to hell, this rich man, he wanted a momentary relief, but he was refused. I'll never forget in ninth grade, and I hesitate to share this story with teenagers in the room because I don't want to give them any ideas. So teenagers, just kind of tune me out here. Now all of a sudden they'll start listening. <laughs> um, but I remember when I was a teenager, my best friend and I would walk to school. Um, I would walk to his house first. We would meet at his house, and then we'd walk to school together. Well, at ninth... When we were in ninth grade, I was about 14 years old, and I don't know, I was a little bit of a pyromaniac. So was he. And uh, his parents left way early to go to work, and so I 
we thought, hey, why don't I come over a little earlier and uh, let's burn things. I realize now as an adult how foolish and how immature that was. But as a 14-year-old, that seemed like a cool thing to do. And so we would. We, he had a barbecue there in his backyard, a barbecue grill. And, and we would take different things from our rooms and we would burn them to see how they would burn, what color flames they would produce, and uh, how they smelled, and uh, what color smoke they would produce. And so we did little things. I remember one day uh, we, had a, we had a hat that we wanted to burn, a ball cap. We thought, this will be really neat. Well, my, my, we, we lit the fire. We lit the hat on fire, and the flame was just not really taken off. My friend was not satisfied. My friend Nate, he goes, hang on. He walks into the garage and he comes back out with a gas can that his dad used to put gas in his lawnmower. And he said, hey, watch this. And he had a dog there named Rimshot. It was a, a Dalmatian dog. And so I'm like, Rimshot, let's back up. This guy doesn't know what he's doing, and I'm, I'm kind of smiling, laughing at him, like, what are you doing, Nate? What are you doing? He takes that gas can, and he pours it on the already existing flame. Well, the flame then just zapped up through that stream of gasoline to the can, the top of the can, and his hand that was holding the top of the can. And so his hand and the can was all on fire. Of course... The flame, the, the, the cap was now really burning well, uh, but so was his hand. And he was like, Eric? And I was like, uh, and I just kind of immediately grabbed the can and I put it down by the garden and grabbed some dirt and threw it on the, threw it on the can and, and doused the, the flame that way. He ran and took off a fire extinguisher from the inside of the garage and ripped it off the wall. And he came and he was about to put out the fire and I had already put it out. Well, the re- So we were late to class that day because we had to kind of clean up all this without a mom and dad knowing what happened. Uh, the problem was some of the, um, the openings on the gas can were all melted and it was like, oh boy, they're going to know something happened here. He tried to put that fire extinguisher back on the wall, but he kind of, like I said, ripped, off, ripped it off the wall and, and, and kind of bent all the the wires that were holding it on there, the little clamp thing. We walked to school, and his hand was, he, he burned his hand. I mean, I'm not sure what degree, but throughout the day, I'd see him after, you know, passing classes, and I'm like, hey, man, how's your hand? And he's like, it is burning, and I am in excruciating pain. His parents eventually found out about it, and uh, we got in trouble. And uh, no more playing with fire. We learned our lesson. But that could have been a bad deal. That fire could have got into that can, and it could have been an explosion. The house could have caught in fire. It could have been horrible. But just thinking about Nate and his hand that was on fire and the physical pain that he experienced that day, can you imagine that type of pain for eternity? with no relief, zero relief. I mean, this guy wanted uh, just a little tiny drop of water uh, to cool his tongue. That, that, he would have been content with that, but he was not allowed. And those in hell are screaming and wailing and gnashing of teeth because of the pain, and there is no relief in sight, nor will there ever be relief. Physical pain. And that's no doubt a terrible part of hell. But, but there's also not only physical pain, but there's mental pain. If you look here in verse number 25 of Luke chapter 16, the Bible says this, But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receives thy good things. You see, there is, those in hell have a memory, and it's completely intact. And they remember 
the opportunities, perhaps, that they had in this life to repent of their sin and come to Christ, but chose not to. Perhaps they remember going to Sunday school when they were a child and hearing the truth, but rejecting it. Perhaps they remember their mom praying for them or their friend or their coworker praying for them and, and, and giving them the gospel and getting an invitation to church and, and them rejecting it. There's going to be a continual remembering. And those memories are going to haunt them for the rest of eternity. I don't know what's worse, the physical pain or the mental pain. Because both are going to be excruciating and horrible. There's also not only physical pain and mental pain, but there's also spiritual pain. In verse number 26, it says, And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. In other words, there is a great gulf. There is a separation from God. What's going to make hell so terrible is the fact the one fact is God is not there. That's going to make what makes heaven so amazing isn't necessarily the streets of gold and the pearly gates and the mansions. Those are wonderful blessings and benefits. What's going to make heaven so wonderful is that Jesus is there. The one thing that's going to make hell so horrible is that Jesus is not there. It's going to be a place of Eternal separation from God. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 8, the Bible says, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. You say, well, wait a minute, I thought God was everywhere. I thought God was omnipresent. Yes, he is. But the type of presence in hell is not the type of presence you want. Because the presence in hell is wrath, vengeance. It's not the type of presence you want to be around. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. That's going to be the worst part of hell. Again, all of these are terrible. Uh, last thought here under pain. Uh, it, it's, it's not only going to be physical, mental, spiritual, but there's also going to be just pain. Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 12. The great white throne judgment. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. So it is very likely, and I believe it to be true, that there are degrees of punishment in hell. Those who've done horrible works here on this earth, and we've brought up a couple names already in this message, perhaps the judgment and the punishment that they're going to experience is going to be far greater than someone who endeavored to live a good life and, and try to treat people right, just never trusted Christ as their Savior. I think there's going to be a different type of judgment for each of those individuals because they're judged every man according to their works. So the pain that they're going to experience is just. It's right. So it's a place of pain. So we see the, the pain of hell. Fourthly, let's look at the permanence of hell. Hell is a permanent address, just as heaven is. There are no exit signs in hell. And heaven doesn't need any. <laughs> uh, there's, there, there's no exit signs in either heaven or hell, but heaven doesn't need any. No one's looking for an exit sign there. They are in hell, and yet there's none that exist. 
Matthew 25 and verse 46, the Bible says, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto life eternal. Everlasting punishment. 2 Thessalonians 1.9, Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. Matthew 25, 41, And then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. In 1997, Chinese firefighters succeeded in putting out a 400-year-old fire. The fire in this particular coal field started in 1560. And the fire consumed over 127 million tons of coal before it was extinguished in 1997. 400 years is a long time. But it is a, a, not even a drop in the bucket when you compare it to eternity. The fires of hell will never end or be put out. In the text we read at the very beginning of the message, Mark 9, 43 and 44, And the fires shall not be quenched. Revelation 14, 11, the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. They have no rest, day or night, who worship the beast and his image, and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. Jude 1, uh, Jude verse 7 says, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. It's a permanent place. Carol Fuller was a 72-year-old grandmother living alone in West Hollywood in 1995. During a home invasion robbery, she was locked inside of a closet. Her home was ransacked and her car was stolen. All of this took place without anybody knowing. But the worst part followed. Days later, investigators found her dead in the closet with her fingers cut from trying to claw her way out. Sadly, Carol Fuller left this world experiencing much, the same horror many will experience for the rest of eternity. Try as they might, claw as they might, they will only have death and darkness and torment and the memories forever as their companions. The reality of hell, it's a real place. It has a purpose. And you going there is not why it was created. But it's a painful place and it's a permanent place. But then I want us to see, secondly this morning, not only the reality of hell, but our response to hell. Being that it is real, what should our response be to that? Well, first and foremost... Make sure you're saved. Make sure you're saved. Yes, it's a real place. But praise the Lord, He made a way for us to escape hell through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and His death on the cross and His resurrection. Uh, he's made a way of escape. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. As Tammy sang so beautifully this morning how Jesus paid it all on the cross so that we could be saved. Praise the Lord. Just before the death of actor W.C. Fields, a friend visited Fields' hospital room and was surprised to find him thumbing through a Bible. And when asked what he was doing with the Bible, Fields replied, well, I'm looking for loopholes. Unfortunately, there are no loopholes in the Bible. Either you trust Jesus Christ or spend an eternity in a place called hell. That's it. But God has given us a way of escape through Christ. So for those who are not saved today, what are you waiting for? There's a poem that I'd like to read to you. It's called The Day of Your Death. Because the truth of the matter is, unless the Lord tarries in his, or if the Lord doesn't tarry in his coming, all of us are going to experience death. None of us want to, but it's going to happen. 
It says, friend, will you ponder some words of truth? Though you be up in years or yet in your youth. With each passing day, your life spins by. Death creeps closer till it's your turn to die. On your bed of death, the thought comes to mind. All your dear loved ones you must leave behind. They speak words of comfort and try not to cry. But there is no comfort. It's your turn to die. As you reflect upon many wasted years, your poor heart saddens and your eyes fill with tears. You spend so much time for family and friends, yet so little time being grieved for your sins. You sped through your years consuming worldly pleasures, yet never investing in heavenly treasures. With these sobering thoughts, you begin to grow scared. It's your turn to die, and you have not prepared. Year after year, you rejected God's Son. Over and over, the gospel you would shun. God's Spirit, which spoke to you once tender heart, has now been replaced with Satan's stinging dart. Like a tale which is told, your life has flown by. Your days are expired, and it's your turn to die. A piercing chill suddenly fills the air, while death enters the room like a strange nightmare. But this is no dream. The time has arrived. You'll die in a moment to never be revived. All loved ones fade as death closes in. Your body lies helpless and you cannot win. With one final struggle, you gasp for your breath to find your soul in the arms of death. As loved, one, loved ones gaze upon your lifeless frame, your soul makes its journey to the land of the flame. Why me, you cry? I wasn't that bad. But then you recall the chances you had. Time and time again, God's humble servants came, offering you salvation in Jesus' name. But you cared not for God's holy plan. You despised his servants, and from his truth you ran. Now as your feet sink into the flame, all hope is gone to trust in his name. And deeper you go into the fiery bath, having traded God's mercy for his never-ending wrath. While horror fills your soul and the pain multiplies, your screams simply fade into the smoke-filled skies. As you wade through the flames seeking consolation, those you encounter have the same condemnation. There's no one to help. There's nowhere to turn. Refuge has fled and you're left here to burn. As your loved ones back home in the world above, comfort one another with words of love. They're all unaware of your sad plight beneath, of your weeping, of your wailing, and your gnashing of teeth. Soon, they'll gently lay your body in the ground, but of your screams below, they won't hear a sound. Never again will you see a smiling face, only faces of agony in this damnable place. No children playing with whom to share your love. Not another second with your sweetheart above. No food to eat. No water in sight. Forever you're a captive to hell's dark night. Sunset, sunsets have vanished. No mountains. No streams. Only roaring flames and soul-piercing screams. And at last you now see your air so well. When you said no to Jesus... You said yes to hell. This morning, if you're not saved, can I encourage you to please get saved? None of us are guaranteed another day. Thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. So if you have not trusted Christ as your Savior, can I encourage you to place your faith in Him today? To not wait until tomorrow. Not and wait until you get your life all put back together perfectly, because that'll never happen. Today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next year, today. Make sure you're saved. What else should we do with the reality of hell? Make sure we're saved. But secondly, we should be a soul winner. We should be a soul winner. It's interesting as we study the 
uh, record here in Luke chapter 16 of the man who went to hell, how all of a sudden, now that he's in hell, all of a sudden now he's concerned about others. And now he's concerned about his brothers so much that he wants someone to go and tell them the truth of the gospel. Verse 27, he said, well, if, if you can't, Come and cool my tongue, and then, then I pray thee, therefore, that, that thou wouldest send uh, Lazarus to my father's house, because I have five brethren, and, and I want him to talk and testify to them, lest they also come into this place of torment. We realize that there is a hell. Hey, it's been said, and uh, I think it would be pretty powerful and effective, if we were to somehow you know, open up the ground and be able to, as just for a few seconds, glimpse and see what hell is really like. Well, we don't have that ability. We do have the Word of God, which shows us what hell is like. And so, as a result of the reality of hell, may the Lord help us to have a burden to reach those uh, around us because we need to hear the, the prayer from hell, and that is for uh, the Lord to send somebody, and maybe you and I can be the answer to that prayer, uh, to send somebody to their loved ones to tell them the truth so that they don't have to go to hell. I guarantee there's people in hell right this very moment who are praying that very prayer, hoping that somebody at Cornerstone Baptist Church would go and tell their loved ones. They don't want them to come to this horrible place. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse number 11, Paul said, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We, we understand what, what, what kind of judgment is coming. And as a result of that, we are going to go out and try to do what we can to persuade men to get saved, to trust Christ as their Savior, so that they don't have to go to a horrible place called hell. Jude 23, others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. I've shared with you how growing up I wanted to be a fireman, and I thought that that was going to be because uh, I was all into fire. I've already shared that story. And I thought, hey, you know, what I want to do with my life is to pull people out of the fire. Obviously, God changed uh, the direction for me. I didn't end up becoming a fireman, or did I? As a preacher... And as a Christian, we're all called to be firemen to a point. To pull people out of the flames of hell and to do what we can to rescue people from their judgment that they deserve and we deserve as well. To be a soul winner. Ezekiel 3 and verse number 17 says, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die. And thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life. The same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. And if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. God has given us a responsibility to warn. We can't make sure everybody gets saved. It's not my responsibility to make your decision for you, but it is my responsibility to tell you. And it's your responsibility as a believer to tell your neighbors, to tell your family, to tell your friends, to tell your coworkers. It's our responsibility to do that. Are we fulfilling that responsibility? Hell's a real place. Or is there going to be blood required at our hands? Is there going to be blood on our hands? at the judgment seat and at the great white throne is perhaps we're looking on and seeing people that we know we should have talked to, but we didn't. And we see them, our neighbors, get thrown into the lake of fire. It's interesting, right after that, then that's when the tears are wiped away. It's not just because the sorrows of this life are over. No, it's because perhaps we're watching loved ones and co-workers and relatives who get cast in the lake of fire who we didn't warn, we didn't talk to. And we're going to be crying and saying, oh God, I'm so sorry, I should have talked to them because of my pride, because I didn't want to come out of my comfort zone. I, I didn't want to talk to them. I was afraid of what they were going to think of me. Uh, they were going to make fun of me at school. 
Yeah, like that's going to matter at that point. You're going to wish you would have warned them. We can't make sure everybody gets saved, but we can make sure that we tell everybody that comes across the path of our life. I want to encourage you to do so. So what's our response? Make sure you're saved. Be a soul winner. And then thirdly and lastly, be a good steward. Be a good steward with your time. Pray for our church. Pray for our upcoming Easter services. A wonderful opportunity for us to get the message of the truth of the gospel to our community. Pray for God to bless that outreach effort. And pray for many to come and and receive Christ. Look, we don't have time to be bickering and gossiping because there are more important things. There are souls to rescue. There are souls to save. We must send the light, send the light, the blessed gospel light. We cannot get so... Let's not get distracted with the other things. Let's make sure we're using our time wisely to get the gospel out. Let's be a good steward with our talents. God's equipped us all with spiritual gifts. Let's use those for God's glory to get the gospel ultimately for the purpose of getting the gospel to people. Get involved. Use your talents for God and then our treasures. Be a good steward with our treasures that God's given to us. Look, I've mentioned this. When, uh, when God increases your income, that doesn't mean that he would increase your, um, your standard of living. It increases your standard of giving. And not so that we can have more, but so that we could give more, so that others can know the truth, to give so our, our missionaries can go and get the gospel around the world in Uganda and England and every corner of this world. Be a good steward. You say, why, why should we give to missions? Why should we uh, be faithful in our tithes? Because people need to hear the gospel. Because there's a hell. It exists. It's real. It's a terrible place. These things aren't pleasant to talk about. I get it. But they're needful. Because it's true. And so today, what do you need to do with the reality of hell? What should your response be? And what will your response be? If you're here and you're not saved, I don't know how to urge you. If I can come and make the decision for you, I so would. But I can't do it. You've got to make that decision. God's placed that in your court. What are you going to do with that? Are you going to get saved? Today's the day for that. Are there people in your life that need to know? I would venture to say that all of us know at least somebody who needs to know. I don't think we all just are in a monastery and everybody around us is a believer. We are around people who need to know the truth. Use this this week. This isn't just some silly gimmick. There's the gospel of Jesus Christ on the back. Let the Lord use you to give this to somebody who needs to know. And then let's use our lives for the purpose. You say, well, look, God didn't call me to be a missionary. God didn't call me to be, you know, in full-time ministry. I understand that not everybody can work in a church. God's placed you, though, at in your workplace, in your neighborhood, at your school, to be not just a neighbor, not just be an employee, not just be a classmate, but to be a missionary in those areas. Use your time and talent to do that. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the time together today. I know this is in a typical Sunday morning service and and message. But Lord, it's from your word, and you've called me as a preacher to preach and teach the whole counsel of God, including this topic of hell. And God, I pray that 
you would help us all to respond accordingly to the truth that we've talked about today. If there's one here today that's not sure about heaven as their home. They're not sure where they're headed after this life. They, they, there's not been a time in their life where they've repented of their sin and believed on Jesus Christ. I pray that today would be that day that they would make that decision. And please, Lord, help us as believers to have a burden in the heart to reach out to those around us, to take it seriously, and to use our lives to get the gospel out and our talents and our treasures to do so. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Miss Pat, would you mind beginning to play? And Today I want to invite you to have a time of prayer there in your seat and decision. But actually before we do that, I don't typically do this, but I'm going to go ahead and ask a couple questions. I wonder if there's somebody here today who would say, Brother Eric, the truth of the matter is, I don't know that I'm a Christian. If I were to die today, I, I really don't know where I would go. And you talked about hell today, and I certainly don't want to go there. Uh, I'm not really sure all that is needed to become a Christian, but would you pray for me? Because I'm concerned about where I'm going to go after this life. I'm not saved. I'm not sure about my salvation. But today I want to, I want to settle it, and I, I'd like you to pray for me. If, if that's you, I don't typically do this here at Cornerstone, and... Um, but with heads bowed, eyes closed, I, I just want to ask, would you, would you just raise your hand if you say, I'm not sure that I'm a Christian. I'm not sure that I would spend eternity in heaven, and I, I certainly don't want to go to hell. Here's my hand. Would you pray for me? Would you just lift your hand up? Just slip it right up and right back down. Anybody like that this morning? Say, I'm not sure that I am a Christian. I'm not sure that heaven is my home. I'm not sure about where I'm going to go after this life is over. I wonder if there's any Christians here today say, Pastor, the Lord has spoken to my heart about somebody. The Lord put some name on my heart about witnessing to, about talking to, talking to them about the gospel. Would you pray for me to have boldness and courage this week to bring it up, to talk to them, to invite them to church, to, to do something to try to get the gospel to them? If that's you, would you just raise your hand this morning? Many hands. Amen. Amen. Mine is lifted too. There's... Uh, a lot of people in my life that I need to witness to, get the gospel to. I'm going to go ahead and be quiet and let you have a time of prayer and decision there in your seat as Miss Pat begin, uh, continues to play. <laughs> 